You are listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. Recently named one of Christianity Today's 12 podcasts you don't want to miss, 2021, I'm your host, Marty Duran. If you've been listening to Uncommentary for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Hearts and Minds books. They're my favorite independent bookstore located in Pennsylvania, owned by Byron Borger. I hope you'll give them a try, heartsandmindsbooks.com. Every book I've ever ordered from Hearts and Minds has come carefully wrapped in uh, brown wrapping paper, like packaging paper. Every single book. Nothing's just thrown in a box with a pa- with a thing of bubble wrap and shipped to you in the hopes that it gets there in some kind of condition that it's still worth reading. You never have to worry about that with Byron. So I encourage you to try out Hearts and Minds Books. Go to heartsandmindsbooks.com. And let him know what you need. Mention Uncommentary, and if he can, he'll give you a discount on the book that you order. Thanks a lot for listening, and support Hearts and Minds Books. We're going to go without the normal intro today because it's kind of a rush thing. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me speculating about doing a monologue about uh, Christian Americans and our views of war. Uh, but in the process of that, I thought about my buddy Todd Littleton, who pastors Snow Hill Baptist Church in Tuttle, Oklahoma. He and I have been friends for, man, I don't know, 15 years maybe? Yeah, that's probably right. And um, I'd say at this point, great friends for a decade, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we talk a lot about a lot of stuff. And um, as I was thinking about this, he uh, he writes, uh, he has a blog in his head for a long time at ToddLittleton.net. He's on Twitter as well. Um, he has a podcast called Pathological that uh, delves deeply. He, he does about an hour per episode, whereas I do about like 35 minutes or something like that, which really goes into uh, that's really a metaphor for how deeply we think about things. <laughs> <laughs> so, Todd Littleton, welcome to Uncommentary. Marty, it's great to be on and glad to interrupt your monologue. Yeah, that's right. Well, it probably needed to be a dialogue so I don't do something really dumb. (laughs) So um, as we are talking right now, uh, Joe Biden's addressing the nation. At least I guess he still is. I I had to wait and he never would start. So I quit and gave up and came to talk to you. Um, But so we're in like day two and a half or something like that of this news out of Afghanistan that uh, the speeding up of the withdrawal and the speeding up of the Taliban taking over different parts of the country. And we've devolved already into the, who is to blame? Is it Trump for the deal that he cut? Is it Biden for not figuring out that it was maybe not the best deal to follow uh, line by line? Um, Or do we blame everybody or what's the deal? And I was just thinking back to uh, the post nine 11 era and the desire that everyone, even Christians, had for some kind of revenge or retribution. Um, you know, I remember George Bush standing on the ruins of the the World Trade Center uh, saying, you know, I hear you, we hear you, and everybody's going to hear you soon or something like that, talking about, or the ones who did this are going to hear you soon. Um, just kind of ginning up this expectation that there was going to be payback. And eventually that payback took the form of invading Iraq and invading Afghanistan. <clears throat> so, um, but in my own heart, I'm thinking back, I was a pa- I was a pastor at the time and I'm thinking about how I addressed my church 
and prayers that we had for victory, uh, for you know, quick victory that God would show Himself strong on our behalf. I mean, I remember praying these kinds of things. Um, and so now I look back with what's happening now with Saigon 2.0 happening right in front of our eyes and think, do, do American Christians have a, not everyone obviously, but do, do a large swath of evangelical Christians in America have a flawed view of what it means to go to war and why we go to war? So I know you think about this kind of stuff a lot. You've got friends who've thought about this stuff a lot. So um, just this is a conversation. If you're listening, there's, I mean, Todd doesn't have a book that we're talking about. He hadn't written on a, he don't have a blog post we're going to work through. This is like double stream of consciousness. So they may meet, they may not. So um, how, how are you thinking about, as you watch these images and see all this, how are you thinking about uh, these things? Hey, well, that's a great question. And, you know, I, re- I remember back um, certainly to 9-11, but I also think back to, you know, um, Desert Storm and, and some of those what were inevitably precursors to um, the terrorist attack and then our response to it. And I have to confess that over time I, I've, I kind of been a bit troubled uh, about how we justify our participation in war. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I have to think along two planes that, that, that um, in our conversations on a number of things seem to have become so conflated that I think it's hard to really do what you're asking. Uh, so for instance, um, used to when, um, our country, uh, or any really, was headed toward war. We would we would invoke just war theory, mm-hmm. and we would see if this particular move satisfied the criterion as being deemed by Christian ethicists mm-hmm. as a just war. Mm-hmm. And and. If you remember back, I, I at least I felt this way. I felt like there was a lot of straining the gnat to justify um, uh, our decisions related to the Middle East. Uh, you're you're talking all the way back to Desert Storm, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, it seems as though there there's just been this tenuous tightrope we've walked to try to shoehorn these actions into. Uh, a just war theory, mm-hmm. um, and and I guess I guess over time, uh, fast forwarding and taking in kind of the recent climate, the, the thing is I've been really thinking about honestly are um, those calls as you describe them for victory, and they're going to hear from you that really we thought need to be honest and characterized what we were asking for was, as you mentioned early on, retribution. And I actually think vindication that masks a vindictiveness. Mm. And if I could explain that real quick, I, I, I think, I think retribution has, uh, has proven to be a, um, an, an ongoing problem to peace because even in trying to factor out peace deals, we're trying to also capture 
what we feel is uh, enough of a payback to satisfy this. How, how bad would we been equ- hurt or whatever? Exactly. Yeah. This equitable sort of, okay, we feel, we feel like, okay, you paid enough. Uh, the, the other side is, is a vindication. And I was listening to, um, I think it was Joni Ernst, uh, uh, being interviewed before Biden uh, started. And, and here's this line, um, uh, these women and girls have been able to go to school and they've bought into the, catch this, the American dream. Hmm. Now, hmm. Afghanistan is not, nor has ever been American. Yeah. And unless we are after nation building, we, we were never really pursuing making Afghanistan the next U.S. Well, I guess in some, I guess in some sense it was because I, well, I guess in some sense it was because, um, it was exporting democracy. That was kind of the, uh, Bush, a Bush doctrine, not the Bush doctrine necessarily, but it was a Bush doctrine that we were going to export democracy to some of these, uh, countries. And if they, if we could do that well enough, then they would embrace our values, whatever those are. Um, our yeah, thinking, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so there was a sense in which it was, uh, some kind of attempt, however ill-defined or whatever at nation building, re- regardless of what they called it otherwise. No, so I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I guess the, the angle I had in mind in, in, in hearing her was that while we might be trying to transplant, uh, democratic ideals, and I think you're right. I, I think we were a nation, though. I think we were pseudo-colonizing. Um, okay, that's a, yeah, but, that's a really helpful way to look at it, I think. That, because the end goal, as even Biden said, I think, today, was to degrade and destroy al-Qaeda and, I guess, the Taliban or whoever's ability to to help them. So yeah. there, in that sense, there was a colonization, and we didn't want the colony to continue to churn out people. Of course, we didn't do anything about Saudi Arabia, and they were primarily responsible. Sure. But, Sure. Um, so now we got, we're going to set up, as I said yesterday, dollar store, Saudi Arabia in, uh, in Afghanistan, because they basically have the same view of women and same view of ethics and everything else. Saudi Arabia has all the oil and people think of Afghanistan as nothing more than a pile of sand. Yes. And to follow on that kind of trajectory, uh, Ernst, uh, is actually saying that the way this is my interpretation. So I don't need to back up. I'm not saying she's saying this. My interpretation of that particular view is that when there's this feeling of the dissolution of the American dream in Afghanistan, now we're looking at we really were entering this invading this country with the idea in in mind to um, uh, vindicate our way of life against theirs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I say vindication, um, we are actually wanting to teach a lesson to vindicate our way. So our a victory would have been a vindication of the American dream. Mission accomplished. So when Aaron said, "Yeah," when Aaron says it's a dissolution of the American dream, now the, we are no longer vindicated in the actions we've taken. Mm-hmm. So the outcomes didn't vindicate uh, what happened. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think one of the problems is I actually think vindication, vindicating the American dream or the American way, is actually a cover for vindictiveness, because in in, in our current nationalistic uh, populism, 
honestly, and I, I say this with, with all sincerity, who really cares about the Afghans? Who in America really cares about the Afghans? Yes. Oh man, not even a handful. Right, right, and I think I think we're I think we saw out of virtue posturing, um, but I mean truthfully the the uh, policies that we have been seeing put forth have have given a clear indication that we don't care about anybody else well i that, think that, that yeah seems to- yeah i think that's very clear um you and i talked offline a little bit about the old the, the phrase that people use kill them all let god sort them out yes. uh, which was at the beginning of desert storm it's at the beginning mm-hmm. of um the, the iraq war the afghanistan war all those things, you know, turn, bomb it, turn it into a parking lot. We won't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, from a from a Christian perspective, thinking about uh, civilian deaths. So mm-hmm. 2,200 or so uh, people, or maybe it's even higher than that. Maybe it's 2,700. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Died on 9-11. Uh, we would consider everyone except the pilots themselves who were in the planes. We would consider all of those casualties as civilian casualties either on their way to work or flying across the country and tragically killed. Um, no doubt about it that we would consider those deaths unjust. We would consider those deaths wrong. Now, I don't think anybody would argue. Uh, certainly nobody would argue that about the civilians that were killed in 9-11. Um, so the number of civilians that have since been killed since we invaded Iraq is really hard to pin down. But it is it is somewhere between two and 600,000, depending upon the source that you use, the years that are, that are publicized. There's just been a lot of, uh, civilian casualties. This happened under the Bush administration, the Obama administration. Um, when Obama was giving, uh, when, when he was giving personal go aheads for drone strikes, civilians would be killed in these drone strikes. The United States did double taps where they would bomb a funeral, then they would wait for uh, the people to come to try to rescue people, and they would bomb again. This has been this has been reported now for years and years and years. Uh, so there were hundreds of thousands of of civilians killed in Iraq. The number that I've seen recently of civilians killed in Afghanistan is in the forty to forty five thousand range since we invaded Afghanistan. Right. Now. I'm not arguing that the United States killed all of those people in all of those situations. And certainly the Taliban would have killed civilians anyway. Certainly Saddam was already killing people anyway. So I'm not arguing that no civilians would have died unjustly. What I'm saying is that it was amplified by the war that was started that we pursued, that we prosecuted. And the question then comes to my mind is how many multiples of 2,200 or 2,500 or whatever that number is, how many multiples of that number have to be of civilians and other countries have to be killed before we have satisfied what we're after? How many innocent people in other countries have to be killed in order for our innocent people to have been uh, avenged, I guess is the word that I'm saying. And as a believer, I mean, if, and let's just talk for a second about the traditional belief of the afterlife without getting into nuances mm-hmm. about it. But traditional belief in the afterlife is if a person doesn't know Christ and they die in this life, then they're separated from God forever. Well, Mm -hmm. we admit that most of these countries are not populated by people who would be professing Christians. These are not countries that are populated by people who have a faith in Jesus Christ that would reconcile them to God. I mean, how many more people are we just going to send straight to hell 
to, to avenge something that happened to us. And so when I started, when, when that started breaking into my mind, I was like, man, I really have got to rethink the way that I think about how a country, and for me, it's America, prosecutes war and my relationship to what politicians and leaders in those realms are making. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, it's, let, let's push on that a little bit more because you, you use this phrase that I think is really, really important, especially when for some reason we ha- are having a difficult time locating our individual selves within a community and a system. Mm-hmm. And you've said, this is what we hear from our politicians and from fellow Christians. Look what they did to us. Mm-hmm. Listen, I've been, I've been here for 27 years. Before that, I was four years in uh, Texas. So for 31 years since, since Desert Storm, uh, I've, I've been largely unaffected except for gas prices. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. By what has happened in another part of the world. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm persuaded or the attempt to persuade me is what happened to us. Yeah. Well, nothing's happened to me. And, and yet now when we start talking about the impact of decisions made by a collective, we've got individuals who, well, I, I didn't do that. Yeah. So at some point here, Christians actually have to, I think, re-engage the awareness that yes we did we participated in this mm. and i think that's a that there's a level of discomfort there that, that i think as champions on whatever level even if we're in regret today whatever level that we cheered on retribution and vindication of our way of life against another country and another group of people We've benefited in some way, oddly or um, or perversely. Mm-hmm. We're guilty of of participating in that. If we if we never ran for office to say we're going to go get them, but we had conversations influencing so much as another person to have a a, a view of another group of people where we could diminish them and disregard their death, we've participated. And I'm just not sure that we are ready for that because we see ourselves resisting instances almost similarly when we talk about the euthanasia of Native American Indians, yeah. when we talk about our treatment of um, uh, during slavery mm-hmm. beginning in, prior to 1619. We resist that. So the idea, I think that's, I think this is, I think this is of a, of the same kind. I don't, I don't think, I, I, I think that we Christians really need to do the hard work of seeing this is of the same, of a similar kind. This isn't just a disengaged event because it happens on another continent. Mm. You're listening to commentary. I'm talking to my buddy, uh, pastor, Dr. Todd Littleton from Oklahoma. And, uh, we're talking about, uh, Christian's view of war, um, and some other things, uh, as we are thinking through some of these things in the uh, aftermath of the, um, withdrawal and the Taliban action in Afghanistan. And we'll be right back after this. So what does it take to keep uncommentary on the air? Uh, technically it doesn't cost a lot. 
Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room and their home. Uh, it's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash uncommentary, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month. I mean, that's like foregoing a 20 ounce Coke one time a month and you can become a uh, $2 a month contributor supporter level. Uh, if you choose the $3 a month, you'll get a podcast logo, an uncommentary podcast logo. If you choose $5, the gold level, you'll get a mug. And these are actually pretty nice um, mugs. If you choose $10, you'll get a sticker and a mug. Uh, if you go above that, then there's other stuff. I mean, if you've just got like money to spare and you want to give $250 a month, we could really do some upgrades around here. Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot. And uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts, so you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. So um, I want to press into something you said, at least I think this is kind of something that was part of what you said uh, just now. And that is this idea of our kind of collective responsibility for some of these things. Uh One of the things that I have said uh, in years past is that followers of Jesus cannot allow secular governments or politicians or, you know, governmental leaders or people who are acting out of a kingdoms of this world mindset or activity to define for us at all times and in all places who an enemy is. The Bible's already really clear, I think. I mean, it's it's about as clear as anything is that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, that doesn't say unless they're a mortal enemy, you know, in your uh, for, towards your country or unless they're in Afghanistan or unless they're Al-Qaeda or whoever. Um, it, it simply says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do have an enemy and we do have enemies, but they're not, they're not localized for us as individuals. So f- to allow, whether it's the Japanese in World War II or whether it's uh, the Soviets in the Cold War, to allow politicians to identify individuals as our enemies uh, at a kingdoms of this world level. I just think Christians have got to do a better job of thinking through what does it mean to have an enemy who can actually be an enemy. And even if a person quote unquote is my enemy, then what's my response to them? Because the Bible also addresses that too. We're, we're not told straight away uh, to pick up arms against our enemy. Now, if you know, I won't get into self-defense cases and stuff like that because I think that is a legitimate uh, place of conversation. We're talking about in the area of war. Who do we allow to say for us as followers of Jesus, this is a group of people we should try to kill? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I perfect. Yes, I, I think that, you know, and, and I think even to press your point further, I, while while I do see um, the 
argument made that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. These powers actually show up working through flesh and blood, you know, those who participate in that. You know, the Apostle Paul seems to be clear that the, the greatest enemy that we have uh, are the powers of sin and death, capital mm-hmm. capital S, capital D. Yeah, if yeah. that's the case, then, then, then you are, I think you're right, I think you're really trying and pressing at a good place that, that our, our enemies chose us. So the idea that a human being has an enemy requires us to choose an enemy, and you're absolutely right. A government does not have, or we should not yield an authority to the government to tell us who our enemies ought to be. Mm. Mm. And, and, and so I, I think that's, I think that's really a good, a, a good point you're making that, that we tend to get swept up in, in these moments where we feel the collective wound and we don't stop long enough to think, now, what about those that are going to die unnecessarily? I know you referred to civilian casualties, yeah. and 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 for a Christian, it seems like that ought to be the first place we think. You know, I think about I think about Rob, Bob Roberts, for instance. Mm-hmm. Twenty years ago, I went to a, a church planter boot camp where he was talking about planting churches. In Vietnam, mm-hmm. Vietnam, <laughs> right? And then I know for a fact that after, after because this was two thousand, he was they were already in talks to plant churches in Afghanistan. Wow. So, so you know, now who do we listen to? Yeah, and now we've got a Bob guy. Robert, yeah. Well, we've got a guy this morning, I think, I don't know who he's affiliated with, but he published this at Nine Marks, where he's pastoring in the UAE, and he's in contact with, with Christian pastors who are in Afghanistan, who are you know requesting prayer for their lives in the event that the Taliban decides to, you know, to convict them of heresy or whatever it would be, mm-hmm. uh, and actually put them to death. So, you know, I was, we have to, we who are followers of Jesus, like we have to think what is, what is the result of our politics or our politicians, um, activity on the behalf of a worldly government, often, which is really on behalf of, um, uh, corporate interests, less than Mm -hmm. even political Mm -hmm. interests. Um, you know, how much. How much Coca-Cola, it, how much blood is worth the Coca-Cola that we need to sell in wherever or how much Pepsi for the Soviet Union or how many cars mm-hmm. for China or whatever? Where, where is the, where's the line that, uh, when, when, when Jesus says to us that our, you know, our inheritance is not on this earth or the thing, I can't even quote the Bible anymore, but mm-hmm. <laughs> my brain is so addled. I can't, I can't even quote the uh, flipping sermon on the Mount right now. Um, but you know, the, our inheritance basically is, is, uh, things above, not things on this earth. Um, you know, wh- how do we take that to the next step that if, if our government or whoever, our president, whoever it is at the time, has a line of thinking or a, a, a direction that he and his administration are trying to take the country that really is about the treasures of this earth. And that's all that it's about. And they're saying, Hey, we need everybody to join in this venture. We're going to go blow these people up 
because and then underneath it really is about corporate interests. It's not even about patriotism or the well, the welfare of the people or whatever it might be. But we don't seem to even keep that as a potential that we need to consider if something comes up where we might need to call our representative, our senator and say, no, I, I don't think this is something that we need to do. And I want you to vote against uh, this action or this war, this deployment, whatever it might be. Because I can't justify that as a believer in Jesus, that this is something that we need to do. And I'm not even talking about pacifism here. I'm just talking about the the disciplined and careful implementation, because to whom much is given, much is required. And militarily, there's never been any more given than has been given to the United States. And mm-hmm. when we do not use it wisely and well, then that is a and we as believers are, you know, raw rying it then I think we have been sucked into uh, a wrong view of the kingdom and we've allowed the kingdoms of the world to take over at least momentarily. Yeah. I mean, I'd even, I'd even say that the subtleties of it all have, have given us, um, have been um, stealthily used where we conflate uh, our way of life with what God has yeah. certainly uh, given us as a standard to be protected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that's where I think that we probably don't realize the level to which we actually are mostly prosperity gospel people mm. and that we tend to think that that's only these guys who want you to help them buy their jet planes or 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 they're you know they're you know 21 room mansions right but the realities are that uh you know the the average normal us um who are so concerned about our particular standard of living and it being threatened are willing participants in a governmental order that ensures that these things will be kept the way they are Mm. and 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 we we dare not challenge a policy that would uh, keep that intact, and and so there may be more consistent thinking down the line that decisions are actually being made because we've conflated those to such a degree that I have to make sure that my legislators are legislating to keep my life as it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's a scary thought, Marty. I mean, that, that you know, that that really is a you know because, um, you know, what 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 was Jesus' other line for another adult brain? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> here are two two preachers yeah. just making up the scriptures as we go because we can't <laughs> here, remember here, them. Here, here, we, here, here we are. Uh, well, you told them up front this is on the fly, yeah, so that's right. you know they, they can't they can't. Oh you, god! You know, I'm, I'm you know I'm thinking about you know if you if you. Um, uh, save your life, you know, that mm. you lose your life for my sake, you'll mm-hmm. find it. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, if you, if you seek to save your life this way, yeah, you'll lose it. Yeah. And, and I just think that, you know, maybe we've got a lot more uh, work to do realizing that we're probably losing our lives. Mm. We're not gaining them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So let's hit one more thing and then, uh, sure. We'll be sure. done. And, um, so one of the things that um, I've been thinking, and this kind of is, this is not directly related to uh, the policies, and if, I'll, but I do want to bring this up that you mentioned Bob Roberts in Vietnam, 
So the French were in Vietnam before we were, maybe somebody before the French. I can't remember now, but the French were in Vietnam before we were. We went into Vietnam. We were in Vietnam for a dozen years or something like that. Not in, not in all out warfare, but all together. Um, a dozen years or something like that. <clears throat> and, um, at the end of that time and all that money and everything, it took the North Vietnamese about a millisecond to take over that country and it, it went completely communist. And we dealt with refugees and Cambodians and uh, people from Laos and people from Vietnam. And God bless us. Uh, For once, we should have done that. And I'm glad that we did. Uh, Here we are coming out of another multi-year, almost 20 years situation. Not on the ground, I guess. On the ground, I think it's probably something like 17 years. But uh, regardless, um, all this time now, uh, fighting this battle, an announcement is a deal is struck in one administration. Just a few months later, an announcement is made in the following administration. And like, like lightning falling from heaven, almost we see, um, our enemy, our long-term enemy is now taking over. So just like the communists did in Vietnam, the Taliban's done in Afghanistan. Thankfully, uh, not as many American lives were lost in the fighting in Afghanistan as in Vietnam. But multitudes of civilian lives lost, and the end result is essentially the same. You know, we're leaving mm. the the ones that we wanted mm. to defeat are going to be running the country. Same thing is happening in Vietnam. Mm. Um, at least Christians, at least you know the scripture. There's that that really cryptic verse in um, in the Gospels. I'm going to get this one right. Dang it, where Jesus <laughs> says that um, you know the children of this world and their generation are wiser than the children of light. And I don't fully understand what that means um, other than Jesus is really pointing out something there that his children need to be careful because the children who live in this world are pretty smart, too. And we're fighting these kinds of things where we're we have these losing things at the end. And it it almost makes it seem like that the next time we'll do better. So we're going to have a better plan. We're going to know more. We're going to do better. And so the next time we're tempted to get involved in a ground war in Asia is going to turn out different because we've learned our lesson in Vietnam. We've learned our lesson in Afghanistan and wherever else we might need to go. So my concern is that Christians won't take this moment in time to reflect on their theology on their understanding of what the kingdoms of the earth are doing versus the kingdom of God. And that in another, whatever number of years that it is, we're going to find ourselves in exactly the same situation again with not just American military lives lost as important as those are, but multiplied numbers of civilians who are killed by bombs and missiles and M you know, M 16s and whatever else we use these days. And I probably just dated myself and some military person is going to laugh out loud when they hear that. But um, <laughs> the point being that believers, at least, I would hope, can take this moment in time. And rather than saying Trump this or Biden this or Biden this and Trump this or whatever, and any of those criticisms are fair game, in my opinion. But to go beyond that and say, you know, are we really? Is there ever going to time that come a time that we don't study war no more? Or are we just going to study and study and study war and pretend like that we are thinking of the kingdom of God when we're really just reinforcing Satan's kingdoms all over again? 
Yeah. Um, I think probably my knee jerk response from my addled, you know, old brain is to say that I don't know that I'm, I'm not as optimistic. I think you're encouraging us to think, I think you're doing well to encourage us that should this happen in your lifetime and mine, we would, we would follow your advice. Those who were listening, if, if it doesn't happen and, you know, it's our children's generation, we hope that they will. But the, the realities are, I, I think those children of, of this world have already understood and put it this way that, uh, these things happen first as tragedy and then as farce. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason being is, is that, it, you know, we think we've got a really good idea and we tragically find out it's bad, but we don't pay attention and we decide to stick by those ideas. Mm-hmm. And then the next time expecting things to be different because we still have the same ideas. It's now a farce because what we, what happens coming out of it is we'll keep talking about this American dream mm-hmm. and this dream that we want to bequeath to others and the things that we want to help dominate because our way is better than anyone else's way. And for Christians, if we really believe that, then I think what you're saying, if, if, if I'm if I'm interpreting, or I'm gonna, I'm going to interpret your words this way, okay. is, that, <laughs> it, is that we should be uh, wise as serpent and as um, harmless as it, doves, you know, as harmless as doves, mm-hmm. but yet maintain that no. Something does have to change at the very core of our understanding of what the kingdom is, mm. and, and that and that if if we don't take the occasion here to rethink uh, uh, what we think about the kingdom of God, it, it, it there is no real hope mm. that we will will study war no more. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to leave that to the eschaton uh, because. Honestly, we we've had some really smart people, people who are Jesus people and people who aren't, who really have put their finger on the mistakes we've made. And yet the thing that seems to dominate is I sure like my way of things in the world and anything that jeopardizes that I'm ready to go to battle against. And the kingdom of God is uh, subversive. It, it, It undermines what we think ought to be our way in the world. Todd Littleton. Todd, uh, where are you on? So you're on uh, Twitter. Is it at Littleton Todd? Uh, yes, it's okay. at Littleton Todd. And your website is toddlittleton.net? Yes. Just make sure that Jason Sampler knows that it's tongue-in-cheek when you call me doctor because he gives me a hard time because his is one one step above mine. So oh. there you go. <laughs> Marty, I've enjoyed being on with you. I've enjoyed being on with you, man. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at UncommentaryPod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, 
Uh, Soledad Gloria. This is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. <laughs>